You know, when you watch the news, you see what's going on in our culture, in our world, you turn to CBS News and you, you turn away from it. Um, but the world doesn't understand forgiveness. It's hard for the world to understand forgiveness around us. Not only is it hard for uh, the unbelieving world around us to put, their, put a grip on forgiveness, but sometimes, if we're honest, it's, it's hard for me and you to forgive, to wrestle with forgiveness. Um, I hope today, as we speak on forgiveness, as God uses His Word today, I hope that uh, your heart would be tender and that you would find a need to forgive in your life as well. I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, and if, if you're in your pew Bible, if, I believe it's page 1204 in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 15 is a, is a beautiful story. It's a treasure trove of a passage. We can mine so many glorious, beautiful things out of this story. Um, today, I'm... Uh, in their I am second curriculum, the way it uh, lined up was uh, forgiveness is the topic for today. And uh, it just so happened that, you know, forgiveness is a large part of my story and my testimony. And it just so happened in God's providence that Tony was out of town. And so just pray that God would uh, use his message today and use his messenger today to to speak to your heart. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll turn to His Word. Father, we come to You now, God. We pray that You would bless the reading, bless the preaching and teaching of Your Word today. Lord, I pray, God, for my friends, my brothers and sisters in this place. Lord, I pray that You would speak to their hearts. Lord, I pray, God, that You would show us, show us what it means to forgive. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Luke 15, we have uh, some amazing passages about... Uh, things being lost and then found. And in the story of the prodigal son, many of you have read it. Many of you know it by heart. Many of you, you would say that this is, this is where I turn because I, I see myself in this passage in so many different ways. I, I find that this is my story, the, the story of the, of the prodigal son. And, and, and for a lot of reasons, it's my story too. I think that we can all uh, connect ourselves with the prodigal. But... We're not just going to look at the prodigal today. We're going to look at his brother as well. Let's begin in verse 11. And, and he said, being Jesus, he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. This man was an affluent man. He had two sons. One son was older. One son was younger. We find here that the younger son... In his defiance and his recklessness, he goes to his dad and said, Hey, Pops, I'm out of here. I need you to give me everything that is rightfully mine. Give it to me now. This son was fixing to embark on a treacherous journey of just dismantling all kind of family honor that this family had. The family name was fixing to get pulled out of a place of prominence and tossed off to the side because the conversations in the streets... And on the corners in this town would forever change because of what this young man right here was doing to his family. Not many days later, the younger son, he gathered all that he had. 
And he took a journey to a far country. He decides to go far away. The Bible says he took a journey to a far country. Didn't go next door. Didn't go to another neighborhood. He packed up and he left. He got his ticket. And he was gone. And there he squandered his property in reckless living, the Bible said. Riotous living. He took all that he had, all that his father blessed him with, all that was rightfully his. And he took it and he ran with it. And he blew it. Prostitutes, parties, just wild, reckless abandonment, no sense of morality, just took off, spit in his father's face and said, I'm gone, I'm out of here. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. The Bible says, so he went and hired himself out to one of his citizens of that, one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. You know, maybe you can identify with this son. Maybe you too feel like your mistakes have embarrassed your family. Maybe your family's broken because something you've done. Maybe you've broken the relationships around you and there seems to be no way out. Maybe you're locked in an addiction. Maybe you've had an affair. Maybe your anger or your obsession with work has devastated your family. Maybe you're, the, maybe you're on the other end of the equation. Maybe you feel your indignation, your anger is righteous. And maybe you're even right to feel that way because of what's been done to you. But whatever the speck of dust in your eye is, maybe the log is in your eye as well. Maybe we all have, have something in our lives that's caused brokenness in the relationships around us. None of us, nobody in this room deserves forgiveness. Nobody. And that is something that we are all so in desperately need of. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is never deserved. It's never earned. By definition, forgiveness is the undeserved overlooking of error. And may we all have modern day pigs in our lives. Mistakes that we'd rather not admit. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. In a group like this, there's some hidden secrets that came into this room today. You've kept quiet about it. It's just a pig in your pocket. We all must decide whether we will grant and receive the undeserved forgiveness of those pigs or will forever suffer the effects of a ruined relationship. As we go on in the passage, the son in the story realizes that his error and he admitted his mistakes and he vowed to return to his father to right any wrongs that he could. We see in verse 17. But when he came to himself. And I think maybe all of us as prodigals in our own heart, we need to get to that point to where we just come to ourselves. Let's just be honest here for a minute. Let's come to ourselves here. He said when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. He's crying out. He's in anguish right now. He sees the wrong of his ways. He's at rock bottom looking up. And rock bottom 
if you know about it, is a painful place. And I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He thought this through. He said, I'm going to go. You know, this, this was days in the making. You know, it had to have been. He's gone. He's spent everything. He's dishonored his family's name. He's hurt his father. He spent day after day, sleepless nights, coming up with what he was going to say. He practiced this. If he had a mirror, he would look in the mirror and say, Dad, I I mean, maybe you've been there. You've rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed of what you were going to do when you went to that person that you wronged. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Verse 20. Look at the forgiveness of his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. A man in this day and time doesn't run. It's silly for a man to run. Furthermore, he had on uh, the outfit that really didn't lend itself to running. I know running shorts are the popular thing nowadays for the ladies. Like, you're like, hey, I'm just going to go get a dozen pair of running shorts and I have my uh, you know, dress attire for the rest of the season until something else is cooler. This guy didn't have running shorts. He doesn't run. But he sees from a long way off his son coming back. And he pulls up his garments and he busts out in a run. And there's bound to have been people see him go by like, what's he doing? And then they see what he's running to. They see that foolish, loser son of his that he's going to go run to. What if you're the son in this situation? You see the dust cloud coming up from behind the feet of your father running to you. Maybe he's stepping back. He's like, he's fixing to tackle me or something. And he did. He tackled him with an embrace and forgiveness. What a beautiful picture. What a a picture that maybe you need to see this morning. You feel like maybe you've done too much, you've gone too far, that God can never meet you where you are, God can never forgive you. That simply is not true. You've believed that lie far too long. And I don't care what you've done, I don't care what kind of pig pen you've been in, I don't care what pigs you're hiding in your pocket, God's forgiveness is for you today. And there's nothing more glorious than to feel... That you are actually forgiven. That the Father looks at you and embraces you. And He kissed Him. And the Son said to Him, after a few moments of hugging and crying and smiling and fumbling through what to say here in this, on this dirt road with a man and another man hadn't seen each other in a while. They're hugging. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's a rightful thing for him to say. But the father said to his servants, he didn't even say anything to his son. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He didn't even have shoes. But he said, bring the best robe and bring some rings on. I mean, he's going to 
He's going to deck him out. He's going to make him look like he is of honor and of, of royalty like he is in his... Like he's never left. He said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's eat and let's celebrate. He's throwing a party for his son. He says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. The smile that has been so far lost from this young man's face came back. And his father and his friends, and they celebrated. When we talk about forgiveness and we talk about reconciliation, they're different. When you reconcile, reconciliation is a two-sided operation. The one who forgives and the one who is confessing. We have in this relationship with this father and this son, reconciliation. We have forgiveness. We have confessing wrong. Forgiveness It can be one-sided. Forgiveness is the wounded person moving beyond the hurt and the feeling. Forgiveness and reconciliation is different. Reconciliation involves confession. How how good are you at confession? Confessing your wrong. It's tough. Do you confess but only when you're caught? Do you confess but then give an excuse or reason? Do you confess but only after blaming part of it on someone else? Do you confess, but then immediately demand complete forgiveness and absolution? These sorts of half-hearted confessions hinder any type of healing process. The father in the story, he understood the power of forgiveness. He knew his son had ruined his life. That he knew. He knew his son had tarnished his family's name. He knew that. He knew that his son had caused more harm and more damage than could ever be repaid or repaired. And he was okay with that. He forgave him. The father knew that forgiveness was the only real option. You know, he could... This story could, have, could go in a total different direction. The father could have embraced him and threw him down and said, You are dead to me. I don't ever want to see your face again. He could have stayed bitter, could have stayed angry, but he didn't. No amount of bitterness, no amount of anger could ever fix the relationship or the damage that his son had caused. When I think about anger, bitterness, um, when I was a kid, and maybe still some now, you know, sometimes we we like, sometimes kind of do things that are kind of silly. Um, so anytime there's a, like a big piece of plywood or a board or something that's been laying in the grass for a long time, I don't know about you, but I like to pick it up. Right? Do you do that? I'm the only one. Okay, good. Well, I'll still do it, and you guys can be like, just look at that board. Because when you pick it up, what's under there? It's just gross. It's like little like tunnels that these Worms or something have dug. And, and the grass is laid down. It's like this nasty yellow looking white color. And it's, it's dirt. And there's like this nice little square right where that board was. Where it was laying for, for weeks or months. And, and, and normally what we want to do is we want to take that board and, and kind of put it right back where it was. You know the nastiness that's under there. You know, on, the, on the top, maybe it looks like a great board. 
You know, that's a good-looking piece of plywood. I could use that. Maybe I could put that, I could fix part of my roof with that, or I could, you know, help my neighbor with their door or something like that. That's a good-looking piece of plywood. When you pick that up, and it's nasty on the other side. But maybe it's still a good piece of plywood. It just needs to be propped up. And it needs the sun to just shine and beam down on that gross side and let some of that dirt and some of that other stuff fall off. See, it takes time for that to happen to that board. It takes time for that bitterness in that board to heal. It takes time for that spot on the ground that's been just covered up and forgotten about. It takes time for that to start having greenery in it. And those little tunnels go away. Because those nasty little worms got to find somewhere else to hide. See, maybe in this place there's just a whole bunch of people that came in. And that's what, that's what you are. You're just a board laying down in the yard. It looks good. Somebody, and you're kind, of, you're kind of afraid, aren't you, when you pick up one of those boards? A little bit of fear there. Like you don't know if like some kind of snake's going to come out and... And so you kind of like pick it up halfway and you put it back down and again and get a stick and you pick it up and you look under it. This just me or you know, you know, what, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Just me. Good. <laughs> so maybe there's some people in here that whatever's happened, you just laid on top of it, forgotten about it, just tried to just move on. But if we're honest... There's an injury that's been covered up. There's a disability under there that's, that's nasty. It hurts, doesn't it? And I hope, and I was thinking about this, and you know, when you pull a scab off of a wound, it hurts. But sometimes the scabs need to come off so the infection can go away and you can be healed better. Forgiveness is so needed in a heart of bitterness. Because you got, you got to peel that board up. You're not going to experience any healing unless you peel that thing up and look at how nasty it is under there and deal with that. We see that the older son was bitter. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. What was the older son doing? He was working. He was doing what he knew to do. He was being responsible. He was taking care of what he knew he needed to take care of. He was out sweating. He was washing off his hands. And he looks up the hill and he sees the house. And he's like, well, what in the world? What time? Like, whose birthday is it? Like, he's checking his watch because he's got one, right? <laughs> and he's thinking, what are they doing? And so he's, he's like, well, maybe I ought to join them. Like, see what's going on. You know, I'm kind of dirty. I've been hard at work. I've been tending to what I know I need to tend to. And he called one of his servants and he asked, what's going on? He asked what these things meant. So he's wiping the sweat off his brow because he's been doing what he needed to be doing. And he says, hey, Dave, come here. I've got to ask you a question or whatever we want to call the servant. What's going on up there, man? And he said to him, this is what Dave said. Well, this is what the servant said. Maybe it's not Dave. Maybe it's Hank or something like that. The, the servant said to him, your brother, he's come. 
And your father's killed the fattened calf. Because he's received him back, safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. He seethed. He said, every day I've been thinking about my brother and what he's done to my family. I don't want to party with him. I want to punch him in the face. I want to take him up on the roof and throw him off. He was fuming. He didn't even want to go near the house. He was angry. Refused to go in. But he answered his father. Look, these many years I have served you. Now we're seeing kind of the time frame of what's going on here. We don't know how long this younger prodigal's been gone, but it's been a long time. There's, there's bound to be people in the town when he comes strolling back. Is that? No, surely that's not. Yeah, I think it is. He sure looks different. Whoo. Life sure has taken a toll on him. We see that many years have passed. The older son, he says, Look, these many years I have served you. I have worked hard. I have been on time. I've done what you've asked me to do. Every day. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet, you never gave me a young goat. That I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he didn't say brother. He didn't say brother of mine. He said, yet when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and reckless wild living, you killed the fattened calf for him. Really? Dad, really? You make me sick. He makes me sick. That's what's going on in this guy's heart. He said to him, son... He's trying to knock some sense into him here. He's saying, son, you're always with me. All, all that's mine is yours. Look, it's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. We see in this story just a great picture of reconciliation, forgiveness, A a bad, gloomy picture of bitterness and unforgiveness. And I think what this story is, is this, this board that we're lifting up in some of our hearts. And looking at what's going on underneath us. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. And bitterness, it spoils everything it touches. The relationships around you. When I was uh, a young man growing up, um, my father, and some of you have uh, heard a little bit about my past with my father. Um, I remember my father being uh, very, uh, very angry. Um, rage is a good way to describe it. Uh, his temper was uh, unmatched. He played... Uh, Semi-pro baseball when he was younger. And he was a pitcher. He could throw. He was a fighter too. He was a scrapper. He had a fuse on his temper that was next to nothing. Growing up, the memories that I have of my dad are, uh, are simply just foul. Um, 
I remember unopened soda cans whizzing by my head and crashing into the wall in the kitchen and busting through the sheetrock. Uh, I, I remember getting hit with baseballs and uh, left hooks because he was a lefty. And um, when, I, when I started to come of age, so to speak, um, I just developed just a hate for my dad. I mean, it was, it was bad. I wanted to kill him. I tried one time, but God prevented that to happen. I hated my dad. The things that he did, the way he treated my mom. My parents got divorced when I was 14. And um, from then, uh, the, the, the rage in my heart and the bitterness in my heart, it just led to all kinds of problems. I remember, I don't know what age I was, but I remember saying, there's no way I'm going to live to see the age 19. I don't know why I said 19, but I remember saying 19, I'm not going to live to see it. Because I got involved in drugs and alcohol and I was selling I was selling dope for a, about a year and a half and uh, running with some not good guys. And I think all of it just kind of stemmed from this, this bitterness that I laid on top, this unforgiveness. It was bad. Um, my dad lived in Birmingham. My mom lived down here. It was me and my mom and my sister. And my mom was trying to sort through uh, everything in her life as well. And uh, God intervened in my life. I went to youth camp. Got, the youth just got back last night. I love youth camp because youth camp, I built an altar in my heart, my past, because of youth camp. My cousin kind of hoaxed me into going to youth camp with him. So I went and God just reached in and just rescued me. And he took me out of what the lifestyle I had uh, given myself and and I remember uh, in youth camp that last night when everybody's around crying and everything and I remember this this little 17 year old little hippie slash thug drug dealer at youth camp that I was I remember squeaking out the words I want to live for Jesus from now on and I came home and it was tough it was tough when I came home because there was a lot of things that needed to change in my life because I was a I was a messed up dude and just slowly, God started. He just gave me this will for Him just to... I mean, I had this laser focus on Him. And I said, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I didn't have to burn any bridges in my life. I didn't have to go to people and say, Hey, um, you know what? Uh, yeah, we can't hang out. I just went to them and I said, Hey, I need to tell you about Jesus. And they're like, uh-uh. So the, bur- the, bri- the bridges burned from the other end for me. And so here I was... I graduated high school. Didn't even think I was going to graduate. 53rd in my class, but it was not very good. I graduated. I went to college. My mom was a librarian at the at PRC, at the uh, uh, Hattiesburg campus of, uh, of PRC. And so I got a full scholarship because of faculty scholarship. So I go to college and, and God is just melting my heart. He's turning my attention to his word. And I didn't have any friends in school. So there would be, there would be days where I'd spend two plus hours every single day in, in God's word. In between classes, I'd be sitting under a tree by myself reading God's word. And then I've committed my life to ministry. I saw the track that God was putting me on. And I said, yeah, Lord, I'll do whatever. I, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. I'm going to follow you. I'll do whatever. 
And I saw the track that he was putting me on. And I, and I wept before him when I committed to ministry. And I said, God, I'm yours forever. I'm your man. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And he started growing me. He started shaping me and started molding me. And then I came up to a, a deep, a, just a roadblock. There was, there was this great movement in my heart, just rapid pace towards God. And then he kind of he pulled me off to the side and said, hey, this deal with your dad you got to sort that out or you can't move forward anymore. you gotta, you got to deal with this bitterness, this anger. I was 19. I still was just that, in my heart. It was just a mess with my dad. But God started working on that. He started changing my heart. And I forgave my dad. And I remember... Uh, Talked to a buddy of mine and said, I gotta go to Birmingham. I need you to come with me. I gotta go talk to my dad. He's like, What? Just ride with me. I'm gonna drop you off at the Galleria in Birmingham and I'm gonna go find my dad and talk to him. He said, Okay. So we go to Birmingham and uh, I had to get a hotel. <laughs> we were too young to get a hotel. So I told my story to the lady across the counter. I said, This is why I'm here. She's crying. She said, You guys can have a room. And I go to my dad and I go in, I just go to his house. Front door, I just walk in and I walk up to his room and I turn the corner. There he was sitting there and it was a shock for him to see me. I said, I got to talk to you. He said, okay. I said, can we go somewhere? So we, we leave his house and uh, we go to a little, a little deli, a little diner down the road. And I spent two and a half hours talking to my dad, telling him everything that I hated him for. And I told him, I don't hold any of that against you anymore. I've forgiven you. And it was like a concrete truck. Fell off of my shoulders. And I left Birmingham. And God was just like, okay, let's crank the engine back up. Let's move forward now. See, there was a, there was a big piece of nice looking board in my life. I mean, this rod guy, he's got it together, right? But you'd pick up the other side of it, and it was bad. And I had to deal with that. I remember um, a few years ago my, when my dad got really sick and he spent about four years in the nursing home. And that was tough. There's some indicators in my heart that I actually forgive my dad because I was like, did I really? Did I really forgive him? You know, kind of going back and forth. But seeing him just crumble to pieces was tough. And I remember uh, they, they, they called me and said, we, we think you ought to come up here. And uh, me and my sister go up to Birmingham. This is a few years ago. And um, we, we go to the hospital where, where they brought him. And they say, can you guys wait over here in this room? And it was a consolation room. I knew what the consolation room was. I'm, I'm a pastor at this point. I know what's going on. This is where they send the families. That The doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry, but your loved one's no longer with us. So I'm in this consolation room. And, and, and I, I know what happened. And so they came in and they told us what was going on. I said, yes, sir, I understand. I, I, I know. I knew what was going on. And I said, can I see him? And I, I go into the room and there's, there's my father laying there. There's his shell. And I look at him. And I said, as tears coming down my face, I said, you were a good dad. And God is the only one that could 
could get me to that place. Because forgiveness, let me just tell you something, people. Unforgiveness can absolutely put your feet in concrete and you are standstill in your faith. When, when the Word says that you have to forgive, God won't forgive you if you don't. I mean, like I had to wrestle through stuff like that. I'm going to give you a few things to think about. If you want to write these down, they'll come up on the screen. There's some things that I've kind of sorted through. There's some things that helped me. And um, maybe you can give this to a friend of yours at work. Seven things that forgiveness is and seven things that forgiveness is not. Number one, seven things that forgiveness is not. Denying or diminishing sin. Listen, forgiving someone doesn't mean that you approve what they did. Okay? It doesn't mean that you got to get to the place where you're going to forgive somebody and, and you get to that place where you say, nah, it wasn't a big deal. I've moved on. That was in the past. No, it was a big deal. Jesus died for the big deals that caused horrible pain in our lives. So forgiveness is not approval. Forgiveness is not diminishing or denying sin. Next thing. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. What do I mean by enabling sin? Forgiveness is not making excuses for someone's behavior. See, for me, it was my dad. My dad was out of my life. He was in another state. But your forgiveness might be different. Maybe your forgiveness is with somebody that lives in the house with you. You've got to deal with that. Forgiveness is not enabling. It doesn't mean you're making excuses for their sin. It doesn't mean that you get to say, well, that's just how they are. That's just their personality. Enabling kind of looks like this, too. If you accept part of the blame for the wrong, well, you know, it's a lot, a lot of my, my fault, too, of what, what they're doing. No, that's, that's not true. You say stuff like, well, they wouldn't have done that if I hadn't have... That's... That's not forgiveness. That's enabling. Maybe avoiding to talk about it because of fear. It's kind of part of enabling too. I'm not going to say anything. They might get mad at me. They might throw it up on my face. When I went to my dad, like he was kind of like, really? <laughs> like I didn't need for him to say, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I was, I, it was bad. I'm, yep. He was just kind of like, Kind of overreacting, don't you think, a little bit? Enabling sin is kind of like loaning an addict money. You got to forgive them. You got you to let them go. The father didn't get in the pig pen with the younger son. He let him go. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. Forgiveness is not denying or diminishing or proving sin. Number three, forgiveness is not a response to an apology. You might say, they never said sorry. Maybe they never will. Maybe they can't. Maybe they've moved on. Maybe they're dead. Maybe you have some horrible bitterness and anger towards your dad. And maybe he's gone on. He's never going to say sorry. You still got to forgive. 
Forgiveness is not a response to an apology. Forgiveness is not, number four, forgiveness is not covering up crimes committed against you. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to governing authorities. You forgive them, but then call the police. You can forgive somebody, and they can go to prison. That's how it works. When um, in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a, uh, there was a guy by the name of Gary Ridgway. He was known as the Green River Killer. He was convicted of killing 49 women. He's a, a bad dude. At the hearing of his conviction, they let friends and family members address him. And one after the other, with a scowl and a growl, would say, you deserve to be in the lowest place of hell. You took something from me. I'll never get it back. She was a good person. On and on and on. And he's staring at them cold-faced. An older gentleman walks up by the name of Robert Rule. He was a father. Older gentleman, white hair, white beard. He comes up. He's got these suspenders on. says, Mr. Ridgway, there are people here who hate you. And he's looking at Mr. Ridgway. And Mr. Ridgway is looking back at him. He's standing off with the Green River Killer that killed his daughter. He said, there are people here who hate you. And he said, I'm not one of them. He said, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe. And that is what God says to do. And that is to forgive. And at this point, Mr. Ridgeway, the Green River Killer, he starts quivering a little bit. He starts, his, his face changes a little bit. And Mr. Robert Rule looks at him and says, you are forgiven. And at that point, the Green River Killer bawls like a baby. I'm telling you, forgiveness is powerful. Mr. Robert Rule, looking at the killer of his daughter, forgave him. But the justice system is still going to put him away. Forgiving doesn't cover up crimes. Forgiving, forgiving is healing and, and moving on. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting. You know that myth. You've heard it. Maybe you've said it. Forgive and forget. Just forgive and forget. Sorry. Simply not true. You don't forget. You forgive. You say, well, God says, I'll remember your sin no more. Yeah, well, that's God. And that's a little different. He, he's all-knowing. He doesn't just forget. He chooses to not hold it against you. In Jeremiah 31, 43, he says, I will forgive their iniquities and I remember, will remember their sin no more. 
This all-knowing God that bestows upon us such rich forgiveness calls us to forgive. He's the one that doesn't hold it against us. He's the one that can forgive and forget, so to speak. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Number six, forgiveness is not trust. Trust is gained slowly but lost quickly. A husband cheats on his wife. He says sorry. She forgives. Do they get to pick up right where they're left off? A great withdrawal has been made from their trust account. It's going to take time. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily lead to trust. But you can forgive them. Forgiveness, number seven, is not reconciliation. Now, forgiveness is an invitation to reconcile. You can go to someone in, in forgiveness and extend a hand of reconciliation, but they can bat that hand away. Well, you walk away with your conscience clear. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Next thing. Seven things that forgiveness is. And I hope these are helping you. Forgiveness is releasing or canceling a debt owed to you. You don't hold it against them anymore. doesn't mean that you say it was okay. You just simply don't hold it against them anymore. Um, it's tough. doesn't mean you approve. doesn't mean you don't say it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. What they did hurts. What happened to you, sir, ma'am, 40 years ago? It was wrong. It hurts. Forgive that person. Cancel that debt. Release them. I remember feeling like I was dragging my dad around on a chain. It's like he's like in a box behind me, and I'm trying to pull him around everywhere I go, and I simply needed to let go. Just let him go. Forgive. Forgiveness is removing, number two, removing the control the offender has over you. Many areas of your life might still be affected by this offender. You need to let go. Maybe they've moved away. Maybe they've died. You need to move on. You need to remove the control the offender has over you. Forgiveness is, number three, giving a gift to yourself and your offender. Quit dragging the offender around. Let them go. Drop that chain. Let them go. Move on. Number four, forgiveness is forsaking revenge. It's not sanctioning injustice, but it's leaving that injustice in the hands of a perfect court. Romans 12, 9 says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But some of us, what we want to say is, Vengeance is mine. I'm going to harbor and I'm going to hate if I get a chance, I'm going to run them off the road. I'm going to throw them out the window of the second story. It's forsaking revenge. Forgiveness is leaving ultimate justice in God's hand. Leaving ultimate justice in God's hands. Justice to the offender, to someone who has done any wrong, that includes all of us, justice is is served in one of two places. 
The first place justice is served is the cross. Jesus died in your offender's place for their sin. And maybe they come to faith and repentance. Justice is served. Or hell. They stand before Jesus and are condemned to the conscious, eternal torments of hell. Justice is served. You need to be careful when you cry out for justice. Justice, leave that in God's hands. Your justice, everyone in this room today, will come in one of two places. The cross, where all of your iniquities, your transgressions, your filth, your pigs, the pig pens that you've been in, justice is going to be served on your account on the cross or you're going to stand condemned. And justice will be served. Forgiveness, number six, is an ongoing process. What does that mean? You forgive them. They did it again. You forgive them. They did it again. You forgive them. Or maybe later you're reminded of that hurt. Something brings it up. Something boils it up. Like a little, like when you're looking at a lake and like the little bubbles come up and pop. Something underneath has been sitting there rotting and decaying for a long time. And that decay has turned to a gas. And that gas comes up and... Maybe something comes up like that. Reminds you of that agony and that hurt. Forgive them. Forgive. 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 Matthew 18... 21 to 22. They asked Jesus, how often are we supposed to forgive somebody? Seven times? Like that's a lot. What does Jesus say? Nope, 70 times seven. You forgive. You forgive. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you right now. Forgive them. Number seven. Forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. You want them to come to Jesus. You want their future to be better than their past. You need to let go of that chain around their neck and get to the place where you can forgive them. Um, I told you earlier that there were times where I was wrestling with whether or not I really have forgiven my dad or forgiveness is really, you know, had really taken root in my heart. Well, let me give you a few things that, some personal indicators that maybe you have forgiven someone. The first one is your reaction to being around them or the mention of them. What is your reaction to your offender when someone brings their name up? Or what is your reaction to your, to, to, to being around them? Do you just kind of like shrink off into some, somebody else? You just get quiet and you're like, I'm good. No, I'm good. And you're seething on the inside. Maybe you haven't forgiven them. Examine your imaginary conversations with them. I remember just thinking, if my dad would come to my house and come up to that door, he might have been a scrapper back then. I'm going to see if he is now. I remember imagining throwing him out of a window. What do your imaginary conversations look like with the person who has deeply offended you? Are they stuff like that? Well, let's be honest. You, you have some unforgiveness that you need to deal with. Is when you think about that person, you're pushing them in front of a bus. You got some 
You got some unforgiveness that you need to deal with. No. And okay, next thing, personal indicators that you've forgiven someone. What is your response when they experience tragedy? I remember seeing my dad just decay away in the nursing home. And never once did I say, serve you right. It's where you belong. You can't even feed yourself. No. My heart broke for him. What is your response to when your offender experiences tragedy? What is your response when your offender experiences fortune? Are you kidding me? They got the promotion. They got the job. They're a terrible person. I'm trying to have a kid and they get pregnant. What's your response when they experience tragedy or fortune? What does your prayer sound like for that person? Because I think that if someone has deeply offended you, you probably, if you're a believer, if you have any kind of relationship with God, there comes a time where maybe you wrestle with the Lord a little bit about them. God, will you just bless them? Would you just do something great in their life? Would you pour out your love and your grace and your mercy on them? Or do you pray things like, God, will you just let them slip today? What does your prayer sound like for that person? And maybe you don't ever pray for that person. Because you know when you pray for that person, it ain't going to be good. You need to get to the place of forgiveness. When I watched that news clip, I thought, you know, I can't show a news clip, CBS and church. That's, but that's pretty powerful. That this lady can forgive the murderer of her son. And not only forgive him, but they have a great relationship. I watched that a couple of times. The first time I was like baffled. The second time I cried. And the third time I was like, yeah, I'm using that. Because what a, what a beautiful picture of forgiveness that we all need to see. Because you're thinking right now of somebody that's murdered your son and you don't want them moving in next door to you. You want them kicked out in front of that bus that's careening by. You've got to get to the place where you've forgiven them. You know what? When you pull that board up, you literally pull a board up and you look under there, that's nasty. You don't just pick it up and it starts shining and looking great. It takes time. It takes you taking your heart and you saying, God, this is in your hands. I can't deal with it. And you surrendering, you letting the Lord take that and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down this road of forgiveness because it's crippling my faith. I need to forgive this person. I need you to help me. You're not going to wake up one day and underneath that board, it looks great. The next day, it might take a long time. Forgiveness is tricky. Forgiveness is supernatural. You need God's help. You need the Father's help. The Father that ran to you. Because you're the prodigal. I'm the prodigal. The Father that ran to us and embraced us and kissed us and says, we're going to party. You're home. You're Alive, you were dead. The, that's serious forgiveness that is extended to us. That father looks to you and says, you got to forgive them. you got to move on. 
you got to get past that. So, no matter what has been done to you, doesn't matter what it is, you must forgive. You must. When I was watching that video of the courtroom of the Green River Killer, and that guy comes up there, that just blew my mind when he said that. When you see the power of forgiveness, when I've known the power of forgiveness in my own heart, when some of you are longing for the power of forgiveness in your own heart, we must forgive. Why? Why, why, why should we forgive? For one, is because of God's power to forgive you. Maybe you're in this place today and you need, to, you need forgiveness. What you've done, you've moved away, you've moved on, but somewhere back there, you got something you're hanging on to. You need to realize that God is the type of father that no matter what you've done, he'll pull up his garment and he'll run to you. And he scoops you up and he spins you around and he says, I love you. You're here today and you've been here and you've been here and you've been here and you've been to this church a little while and maybe another church for a little while. But over and over and over, you just keep running into the same thing. And that's the simple fact that you can't forgive yourself. Maybe you, you see the treachery and the pig pens in your past. Look, I know about pig pens in the past. Believe me, I know about those. And I know what it's like to be swept off my feet by the forgiveness of the loving Father. That's why we forgive, because God has power to forgive you. Another reason that we must forgive is to consider the lengths that God went to accomplish forgiveness. What He did to forgive you, He gave His best. His only Son sent Him up the hill, sent Him to the cross where He was crushed. He was murdered because of your sin, because of my sin, because of the sin that that offender has done against you. Jesus died so you can have forgiveness. So the Bible says in the New Testament that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. The whole deal of forgiveness, the whole first part of what we talked about today might not be you, but this part might be you. You need to know that a holy, righteous God who is just and has every right to condemn you into eternal torments of hell looks at you and extends a hand of forgiveness and says, let's move on. Let's get to the place where, look, we're good. So maybe you need to come today and you need to experience that kind of forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. You know? Let God help you with that. We have to understand a few things. That God forgives. His forgiveness is based on the purity of Jesus' work on the cross. It's not based on the purity of your repentance. There's a lot of people in here, you've been chasing a works-based righteousness around and around in circles, and you've been in church for a long time, and you're dizzy. Because you think God's going to accept you based on the purity of your forgiveness. That's not, that's not how it works. That's not orthodox Christianity. That's not proper theology. God forgives you based on Jesus' work. 
not based on the purity of your repentance. True repentance, when you are forgiven and you repent, repentance brings change. A heart that's transformed. If you repent of an action, but seem to continually fall into that same sin over and over and over, then maybe there's something deeper that you're not getting at. Maybe you're a liar. You've lied and it's caused problems and you've repented of that specific lie, but you've got to get at what's deeper. Your problem is there is an idol in your heart of pleasing people. That's what you've got to get at. Repentance brings change. And I've seen it. I've seen it in this church. I've been here coming up on exactly two years in August. And I've seen people in this room that the shower of forgiveness is washed over you. And there's been life transformation. And it's a beautiful thing. Some of you can kind of look back right now and close your eyes and, and know that's you. Things have changed in your heart. For me, for me forgiving my dad was about movement. It was about my walk with my God was at a standstill. And I desired so much in my heart to be where Jesus was. I wanted to be close to Him. In Matthew 14, we find the disciples in the boat. And Jesus comes walking on the water to them. And they're scared. They say, it's a ghost. Jesus said, nope, it's me. And then Peter says, Lord, if that's you, call me to come to you. Not because Peter wanted to walk on the water. We've messed that up. If you want to walk on water, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, you have no business walking on water. We don't, we don't get to do things like that. Peter didn't say, Lord, I want, to, I want to walk on water. And Peter said, I want to be where you are. Tell me to come to you. And Jesus standing on the water. I don't know what it looks like to stand on the water if you're swaying a little bit or what. As Jesus standing there, he says, Peter, come on. And he climbs out of the boat. Now, what happens there? Do you, do you get good footing and you, you start... But it's about being at one place. And Jesus in His Word teaches you and He says, Come to me, get where I am. And that's what it was for me. It was about movement. I was sitting in that boat and I so wanted to be where Jesus was. And Jesus said, you got to come to me. you got to come this way. Come on. You're there. Let's move on. Let's forgive Pops. Come on. Let's come on. Let's go. Because in that story in Matthew chapter 14... There's a lot of people that get, got fed by Jesus. They got some good things from Him and they walked away. And there's a handful of people in the boat. But there was one other guy that got out of the boat and started walking to Jesus. Jesus grabbed him and scolded him a little bit. You have little faith. I want Jesus to say that to me. Got back in the boat and disciples said, you got no business being on that water, Peter. What's wrong with you? I want to be where Jesus is. Because where Jesus is, is where amazing things in your heart can take place. Forgiveness, joy, love, peace. You can go to bed tonight knowing that you personally are forgiven. That all the wrong that you've done against the Holy God, it's not held against you anymore. That's where I wanted to be. And the Lord, as I grew in Him, He showed me, hey, you're still over there. You, come on, it's going to take some faith. Come on. 
So maybe today you need to come and for the first time in your life experience the forgiveness of a holy God. Maybe you've been in church a long time. You know what? You can go, in, you can go to church for a little while and start figuring out how it works. You can wear the certain things, sit and stand, smile and say, hey, get some buddies here and there. And for decade after decade, you can do the church thing. And you can stand condemned. Because you've never experienced forgiveness. And here's what I do know. I do know for a fact that in a room this size, there are people that are harboring some bitter unforgiveness. I pray that this message today, that the word of God today would be like this hard removal of a scab. Because you got to heal. You've got to move on. You've got to get to the place out on the waters where Jesus is, where people roll their eyes and say, you don't belong there. That's crazy out there. I pray today that you would know the power of forgiveness. So I pray I would invite you to come to the altar. Maybe you need to lay someone down that you've been dragging around for far too long. Maybe you need to come. I'll be here. Brian will be here. Maybe you need to come and say, I don't know that forgiveness that you're talking about. And I would say, you're right. You don't know. You need to know. Because it's beautiful to know that all the pigs and the pig pens in your past are they're gone. That God doesn't hold that against you anymore. That you're His son, that you're His daughter, and He loves you. And when He looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ, not the filth of the pig pen. Just, let's just stand together and pray and let forgiveness just wash through this place. Let's turn this time over to God. Be obedient to what He's calling you to do. Father, we thank You, God, so much for Your beautiful Word. God, I thank you for an opportunity to share with people that I dearly love how great it is to know your forgiveness. How great it is to know that we can be released of the wrongs that's been done to us. Lord, I pray that we can stand and look our offender in the eye and say, I forgive you. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just do a work in our hearts. God, I know you're working in people's lives right now. I pray that they would just turn over to you. God, I pray that you would just walk up to them now where they're sitting, where they're standing, God, and you would just take and just lift that board, just peel that scab back right now, God, and see the hurt, Lord. And, God, I pray that they would allow you to do that. And they would step into your arms and say, Lord, I need to heal. I need you, God. So, Father, good Father, the Father that runs to us, that embraces us, that kisses us. Lord, we pray for forgiveness to just sweep through this place. We trust you with this time. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Would you come? Would you respond how God calls?